When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why, the podcast that's all about digging into big questions and tricky topics for our honest conversations. This week we're going to be looking at serendipity or luck, whatever you want to call it, and actually we'll be discussing if there's a difference between the two. Today I'm talking to Professor Christian Bush. I'm hoping I've said that, if I said that ish right, very okay. English accent, and he's the best-selling author of Connect the Dots, The Art and Science of Creating Good Luck. He is the director of the CGA Global Economic Programme at the New York University and also teaches at the London School of Economics. He's the co-founder of Leaders on Purpose and the Sandbox Network and former director of LSE's Innovation Lab. He's been featured in the likes of Harvard Review, Forbes, The Guardian, Washington Post and the BBC. And he's a regular speaker at all sorts of conferences, the World Economic Forum, TEDx, Financial Times Summit, and this one I really like. Thinkers 50 radar list thinks that he's one of the 30 thinkers most likely to shape the future. What a, what a <laughs> accolade. What an impressive CV and so much interesting stuff for us to dig into. I'd like to start with three kind of lightweight questions. How are you really? What star sign are you? And what's your favorite crisp? That's great questions. I'm very Thanks. grateful. We just had a baby girl. So, you know, there's a lot of joy associated. Lack uh, of sleep, but a lot of joy. So that's... Uh, how little uh, is... Li- how recently did she join you? Six months. So you can already ah. see the, uh, you know, lines oh, under the eyes yeah. kind of growing. But uh, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, no, it's been joyful. And, and I'm very grateful for that experience. Um, in terms of star signs, it's, it's Pisces. Um, uh, I'm a Pisces. That's why I do that are. face. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, favorite crisps? That's a great question. I mean, mm, the saltier the better. And yeah, that's that, yeah, it's true. That's basically that's that's covers everything. A salty crisp is a good crisp. <laughs> and you're six months into parenting. I mean, actually, that's quite a tough spot to find yourself because the kind of initial excitement is is gone. Everyone's like, oh, they've got a baby now, <laughs> and then you're you're stuck with. I mean, it's a gift, obviously, but it's 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 hard graft, especially in in the early days. That's true. That's true. And also, you know, I I found it fascinating how I think it's it's kind of a lot of opportunity to practice what I preach in terms of how do you wing it all the time, right? You know, there's the no time. perfection in parenting. That you know what you're so right. That is the constant truth of parenting, and I think we all know that it's not going to be like we expect. But somewhere in that, I think we do still have expectations. And everything, I think it shines a light on so much of yourself. And, you know, I've got controlling tendencies. I like a plan. Hmm. No point. You, you, you can't plan your way through parenting. <laughs> True that. <laughs> to hope for the best. So explain to me what we mean when we say serendipity or what, what you think we mean when we say serendipity. Well, what I found fascinating about this is that, you know, usually when we think about luck, we think about things that just happen to us, right? So being born into a nice family, all the kind of stuff that we can't really influence. 
serendipity is, is about smart luck. It's about luck that we can somehow influence. It's about these kind of unexpected moments that we do something with. And so to give an example, you know, imagine you have erratic hand movements like I do, uh, then you spill a lot of coffee. And so imagine you spill coffee over someone in a coffee shop and, mm -hmm. you know, they look at you slightly annoyedly, but you sense there might be something there. You don't know what it is. You just sense there might be something there. And now you have two options, right? Option number one is you just say, I'm so sorry. You walk outside and you think, ah, what could have happened had I spoken with a person? Option number two, you speak with the person. That person turns out to become the love of your life, your co-founder, your next client, you name it. Mm -hmm. The point is our reaction to the unexpected. Us making the accident meaningful is what creates that serendipity. So serendipity really has this kind of smart luck that we create out of the unexpected. And do you think that some people have that more innately than others? You know, it's fascinating because uh, the, 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 one of the reasons I'm so curious about it is that there's obviously both an art, right? So the magic of it, where some people intuitively do more of it. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and then the science, which is kind of trying to understand when you look at all these different stories around the world. And uh, that's what our research has done. We, we try to understand what's the pattern behind this. Is there mm -hmm. something that we can learn? And so what I found fascinating is that there's kind of traits that we can more and more take on that make it more likely, right? So um, how perceptive we are, how alert we are, how open-minded we are, how curious we are. But also then there's, there's, there's practices we can do in the day-to-day. -day. And we can probably talk about a couple of them, like the hook strategy, which is all about how do you put potential touch points out mm. there that other people could, could use to then create the unexpected. And so that's kind of what makes it exciting, that we can build a muscle for it. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. I'm even thinking as you're talking, they are two quite different skills. You know, the people that I know who are, are great observers might, this is in broad statements, but they're quite in their minds and they're quite reading a situation all the time. And actually the people who are more perhaps likely to, to make the jump and, and change things might not necessarily be the perceptive people, and yeah, huge broad strokes, but it's it's learning to marry those two places together is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and, and then it gets really interesting, right? When you think about how do you build those kind of different competencies or capabilities for, for yourself? And, you know, there, there's a fascinating experiment, actually, um, that, that, that I've always found very entertaining. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd love to ask you and your, your listeners, if, if, you, if you identify as lucky or unlucky, just, you know, lucky or unlucky. <sighs> Oh, I want to say lucky, but I think I'm bought. <laughs> I think I I have a few unlucky things that happen, and I managed to turn them around. Yeah. Nice, nice. So, so, so you took the bad luck and then used it as an inflection point in a way to create, yeah. to create your own luck. Um, you know what's fascinating is that that so and, and and also those of your listeners who thought lucky versus not so lucky, of course, you know those who feel less lucky. That's a lot what we will talk about today, I guess, in terms of how we can then you know create more luck. But what's fascinating is that those of us who who believe they will be luckier. Uh, uh, or who believe they are lucky will be lucky in the future, not because of some kind of voodoo like type of things, but because they are differently looking at the world. And so mm. in this one experiment, um, they took people who self-identify as very lucky. So people who say, good things tend to happen to me and, and so on. And then people who self-identify as very unlucky. So people who say, bad things tend to happen to me. I'm always in accidents and, and so on. And we probably all know people on this kind of continuum yeah. of, of, of very lucky versus very unlucky. And so they take one of each and they say, walk down the street, go into a coffee shop, grab a coffee, sit down, and then we'll have our conversation. What they don't tell them is that there's hidden cameras along the street and inside the coffee shop. 
there's a five pound note, so money, right in front of the coffee shop door. And inside the coffee shop, there's one empty seat next to this extremely successful businessman who can make big dreams happen. Now, the lucky person walks down the street, sees the five pound note, picks it up, goes inside the shop, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman. They have a conversation, exchange business cards, potentially an opportunity coming out of it. We don't know that part. The unlucky person walks down the street, steps over the five pound note, so doesn't see it. Mm -hmm. Goes inside the shop, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman, ignores the businessman. That's it. Now, at the end of the day, they ask both people, how was your day today? And so the lucky person says, well, it was amazing. I found money in the street, made a new friend and, you know, potentially an opportunity coming out of it. The unlucky person just says, well, nothing really happened. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, there's a lot of experiments like this where you can put people into exactly the same situation. And they will, based on how they perceive the world, based on their alertness, based mm -hmm. on how they communicate with people, have far more luck than others. And so, uh, you know, I find a lot of money in the street, mostly pennies, unfortunately. So it doesn't really help my, my lifestyle. But once you expect it to be there, it tends to happen more often because you open your eyes to it. And, you know, for a lot of us, and, and let me just to your earlier point also, that a lot of times, right, of course, people who might be a little bit more extroverted or so have more of these kind of conversations. But, you know, for closet introverts like myself, a lot of serendipity comes from quiet sources, from calm mm. sources, like taking another street to work in the morning and then, you know, open my eyes to, oh, there's a new bookstore. Oh, this book, that could be a podcast. Oh, my God, such a coincidence. Mm. And so it's really kind of finding those moments by opening our eyes to it. So, yeah, that was going to be my next question. Do you consider yourself a, a lucky or an unlucky person? Yeah, well, extremely lucky. And I think both in terms of the the luck that, that was given to me, right? I, I was extremely lucky in terms of the, the family I was born in, in the sense of like very loving and, and very supportive. Um, and then kind of like in a way, my base level for potential serendipity was much higher than, you know, a lot of my research is in Sub-Saharan Africa in some poverty contexts where, you know, the base level you start from is, is very different. And so mm -hmm. I think there's the kind of blind luck that I've just had based on the birth lottery in a way. And then the kind of um, smart luck that I think I've tried to more and more have as a life philosophy and a daily practice. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what why, why I'm so excited about it. I've seen this in my life over the last kind of 15 years. I first thought it's something I just do intuitively a little bit and like, oh yeah, great, serendipity here, serendipity here. But the more we build organizations around it and communities, the more you would go to dinners and people would just constantly be like, oh my God, such a coincidence, such a coincidence, such a coincidence. Really? And so I got really fascinated by this question, can you accelerate this? But then also, what's the, what's the, the kind of science behind this? And, and can we build a science-based framework for this? And this is why I'm so excited that it, it's, it's kind of like, in a way, something where we try to put a science to something that seems very ephemeral. Yeah, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. Um, to go back a few steps, number one, is this, What's the historical con the context for the idea of serendipity? Is it something that we think people have talked about or thought about for a long time? Well, it's interesting. I mean, it comes kind of like, you know, from a, an old tale of the princes of Serendip who, you know, they were traveling around and then accidentally kind of like they had all these discoveries. And, and so, um, you know, that, that was quite quite some time ago, but only a couple of decades ago, someone actually wrote about it as, hey, this is serendipity. And then kind of like after that, more and more, and that's the exciting thing, I think, at the moment where more and more kind of like scientific um, papers come out around the topic. We see that it becomes more kind of like mainstream in terms of how people feel it's okay to talk about it versus, you know, just like as a cool story versus, no, this is how I operate. Mm. I mean, let me to, to give you an example here, I work a lot with senior executives. And when mm -hmm. you're the CEO of a company and you go into a boardroom, 
you don't want to say this just happened to me. You want to say this was my plan, this was my strategy, and I did this and this and this and this. Right. So step by step by step, mm -hmm. similar to when you present your CV to a new employer. Right. Mm -hmm. You go to them and you say, I wanted to do this, then I did exactly this, and then exactly this happened. Yeah, but you know, real life isn't like this, like a kind of straight line where you go step by step. Real life is more like a squiggle, right? Where like, mm -hmm. oh my god, this, this, this. And so that's the fascinating thing, I think, what's happening at the moment and, and what we're trying also with, with our work is to say, let's give a vocabulary that's not just passive. It's not just passively about, oh, the unexpected kind of changed my plan and now I'm the loser who wasn't able to implement the plan. No, you created a mindset and a corporate culture that allowed you to have more serendipity and that actually was part of your plan. And then actually what happens is that serendipity is not just something that seems like, oh, you weren't in control, but actually the only thing that helps you to really be in control in a world that's changing so fast yeah it's it's absolutely fascinating because that is the thing with anyone who is hugely successful there will be loads of graft and there will be loads of planning and there will you know loads of commitment but the, the magic moments more often than not exist within serendipity don't they Absolutely. And, and and that's, you know, that's the fascinating thing. I think when you think about the unexpected, I think a lot of times we see it as a kind of threat, something that, that kind of derails our plans. And, 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 you know, I come from Germany, I grew up with this idea of you got to plan everything. And then you go out into the real world and you get anxious. You're like, oh, my God, nobody told me that real life is full of all this uncertainty. And then I think a, a key of this of this kind of mindset is to say, well, you know what, the unexpected actually can be an amazing source of joy, of meaning. Uh, once you actually see it as something that can make life even better. And I will never forget, mm -hmm. uh, you know, an old mentor of mine, he kind of kickstarted that a little bit in, in me where um, he would say, Christian, people like you always um, assume there's one way to Rome, to the city Rome, right? And then you realize at some point you don't even want to be in Rome. And, and to me, that really hit home where I was like, yeah, you focus so much on this one kind of like career or this one idea. I want to get this one job. And then at some point you realize, actually, I don't really want that. And, and so serendipity, actually, the unexpected can become a beautiful way to really discover who we could be, to discover mm -hmm. what we could really like. But we have to have that openness to it. And I think, let me, what it really comes to is, is to say what differentiates this from just kind of like going out there and doing kind of like, oh my God, I'm just floating around is to say, no, let's have a sense of direction, a core curiosity or something that guides us a little bit so that we are not completely lost. But at the same time, let's build the unexpected into our planning so that actually it can become a partner rather than just something that threatens us. Yeah, that's it's, it's so true. I, I'm just in my mind relating it to so many things. I think there's a Buddhist expression which is about holding things as if they're a small bird. So you need to hold <laughs> it enough to hold it, but not crush it. And I'm mm. I am definitely guilty in my work and in many aspects of my life of, of trying to drill down into things, of trying to put timeframes in, to put endpoints, and, and then being frustrated when they... When it, of course, it doesn't move like that because that's not how it works. But actually, allowing for that wiggle room and it, and accepting that sometimes the the deviations are the good bits is mm. a real change of mindset, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and you know that's the kind of interesting thing. I mean, it it, it very much comes back to so so Viktor Frankl, who um, he wrote this beautiful book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. And, and, you know, I wrote it after I had my first near-death experience and I read it again after a second near-death experience. And it always kind of helped me to say, you know what, whatever happens, especially in moments of crisis, is there some kind of meaning you can find in that? Mm -hmm. If there's a breakup in a relationship, 
yes, in the moment that feels really bad and, and it feels like the, the world goes down, but actually maybe that's the kind of inflection point for finding someone later who really fits you. If you would have stayed with that person, you could have never been with that other person that is really your, your person. And, and the mm -hmm. same with like, if you wouldn't have been fired from this particular job, you would never have started your own company. Things like this where in a way, in the moment, things can feel really bad. But once we start to see meaning in that and say, can I use this as an inflection point? Also to your point earlier, right? That you've taken bad luck and then tried to turn that into something. I think that reframing is fascinating. And so Viktor Frankl, um, he always had this beautiful idea that that you can't always pick the situation, but you can always pick a response to it. Hmm. And so it's, it's always the question then, do, do I let the, the, the situation define me or do I define the situation? And he did that so well when he, so he was in the toughest of situations you can imagine uh, in a concentration camp, you know, during the Holocaust, which as you can imagine, there's, mm. it's completely meaningless. Uh, it's completely hopeless to be in that situation. So objectively, there's no meaning from his perspective. Mm -hmm. But he said, you know what, I'll still create some meaning, even if objectively there is no meaning. So what he would do is he would say something like, well, every day, I will speak with a fellow prisoner and make them feel better about themselves. And now I have a reason why I should wake up tomorrow morning. And I still want to write this book once I'm out. So I have also a bigger meaning. And I think mm -hmm. this duality of meaning of, of, of saying, I try to find meaning in whatever situation that really helps us to create serendipity because then kind of like these beautiful moments can happen. It's it, yeah. And actually a lot of that ladders into the work that I do because I find myself where I, I'm no longer very tolerant to small talk because I think <laughs> every conversation that you had, you can always get something interesting. And that's partly just because I like deep stuff. But you're right. It, how many times have we sat in a coffee shop, stood in a queue, sat on a plane next to someone who could have the potential to to change one another's lives? And Absolutely. You know, the only way you you make that happen is to it's to start a conversation i suppose exactly and and i think you hit on a really interesting point there right in terms of how do we have conversations how do we create meaningful connection with others and you know something that i found fascinating is how very small changes in how we ask questions for example have huge effects right mm -hmm. so instead of asking the kind of what do you do dreaded question that everyone asks at, at conferences and so asking what do you enjoy doing it, it inserts this one thing but what it does is it it is is this not getting the person to the autopilot of oh i'm hosting a podcast and da -da, mm. or oh i'm a journalist da -da. it gets you into no i've always been like trying to learn about xyz the world and then i might be like oh my god i thought we had nothing in common but actually we have a lot in common because we might have similar motivations or something like this but also clement i think where it gets really exciting is how do we answer to these kind of questions? So if, if, if someone asks us, you know, the dreaded, what do you do? What do we answer? And there mm. where I think that's where I'm a huge fan of this hook strategy um, that Ollie Barrett, an amazing entrepreneur in London, does extremely well, which is essentially, if you would ask Ollie, so what do you do? He yeah. would say something like, I'm a technology entrepreneur, recently started reading into the philosophy of science, but what I'm really excited about is playing the piano. And so what wow. he's doing here is he's giving you three potential touch points where you could be like, oh my God, such a coincidence. My sister is teaching on the philosophy of science. I should put you mm. in touch. Oh my God, such a coincidence. We're hosting piano sessions, drop by. And so it's really this idea, and it comes back to, to our earlier point of that it's not about just floating around there. We can step back and say, what are some key curiosities mm. or interests we have at the, mom at the moment, right? Is it bringing a mindset into schools and curricula? And then how can I seed that into every conversation? Mm. To your point, that actually then guides very quickly away from small talk to whatever the other person's interested in in relation to what you're interested in. It's so, yeah, what a great technique. And, it, and number one, it's really humanizing. But number two, yeah, I do this, I do this, but actually 
my my ceiling at home's leaking. I really, really need a plumber. And the, and the person goes, oh, yeah, I've got a plumber. But if it's all in, yeah, you, it's so true. And you're like, oh, what a coincidence. The person I met at a conference <laughs> is into plumbing. But until, <laughs> until you, as you say, until you hook it out into the world, no, we, yeah, we only ever stay surface level and none of these kind of magic moments if if we don't opt in ourselves. Exactly. And and that's the thing I feel, you know, I, we tend to underestimate how much social capital people around us have that is completely latent. We can't see it. Right. So if, mm -hmm. if I if I would put these things out there, I don't know that you have an uncle who just set up a school where they want to teach the serendipity mindset. You know what I mean? Like, I can't know these things no. but by putting this out. I, I make it more possible. And one thing, one conversation I've had quite often is um you know, I work a lot with students, for example, right? Or people who, who are just about to start out, young professionals mm -hmm. and others. And and they sometimes would say, well, but I don't have a lot of social capital yet. I don't have a lot of contacts yet where I could do these kind of things. And so one thing um, that I'm a huge fan of is then to say, well, why don't you go to whatever public events there are, right? So at the LSE or at the RSA or wherever, there's kind of like a public forum where you have speakers speaking either in in, in, in person or virtually. And then whenever they are finished, you are asking the first question. You stand up in a way that they can't ignore you, right? Energetically, but not too much. And then, you know, every moderator is grateful for the first person who stands up when, when questions come up. So you are the first one who gets up and, and raises your question. And the way you frame the question to the speaker is, it makes it all about the speaker, right? It's, it's all saying, thank you so very much for this extremely inspiring speech as someone who recently XYZ, and that's where you build your hook, where you say, as someone who recently graduated from LSE and wants to go into the tech business area, I was wondering XYZ. Mm. And so what, what happens now is you, you cast the hook out there and, and after the session, every time, four or five or six people out of the audience come to that person and say, mm. oh my God, such a coincidence. We're currently looking for people who can work in tech business like we should talk. The point is we're leveraging the social capital of others without actually doing that in a way that kind of would ever bother them, right? Like yeah. they would never ever know that we actually kind of in a way casted a hook that then created serendipity out of their social capital. Um, but it's really those kind of things where I think I'm thinking about who are my first degree contacts in a broader sense? Is it the mm. public speaker at an event and so on? Opens up social capital that is just immense. But it's it's... Uh, as you're speaking, I'm feeling anxious <laughs> at the prospect of being the person who has to do that. But it, it, all of these kind of things are practice behaviours. All I can compare it to is, you know, public speaking, which is is terrifying. But the more you do it, the less terrifying it becomes, without doubt. Same with same with everything. And I guess it's about flexing that habit of of just having a go at this. Exactly. And and really also rethinking what's the worst thing that can happen, yeah. you know, because I, I used to have a bit of a fear of rejection, right? So I would mm. be like, oh, that person in the coffee shop, I wouldn't necessarily talk with because I would be like, oh, that sting of rejection sucks. Or that speaker at a conference, you know, where I really wanted to talk with, I wouldn't necessarily talk with. And then I realized the sting of rejection actually is not the worst thing in this situation. The worst thing is walking outside and thinking, mm. ah, what could have happened? So this regret of of what could have happened. And so once you realize that actually it hurts much more to not do it than to mm -hmm. do it, then actually I think it also kind of, you know, makes it a bit more like it gamifies it a little bit more in the sense of saying, hey, look, it is not the worst thing to get a quick sting of rejection. And and you get more used to it anyways over time um, as well. To your point, practice makes not perfect, but practice kind of like in a way builds builds a bit of that muscle as, as well. And actually thinking about it, how how often is someone totally rejected in that situation? You know, I, 
mostly people would do that with kindness and and yeah who knows that the the man in the coffee shop might be wanting an intern you know it's like that is more often than not we can all help one another in in some way or other or know someone who you can that's that's a crucial thing isn't it Absolutely. And that's where the shopkeeper next door, right, might know the prime minister's son mm. because they go shopping there every day. You know what I mean? Like so, so there's all these unexpected connections that people have and unexpected ideas that they might bring in, but we have to give them the opportunity. Um, there's a great person um, uh, in the UK called Lucy Sheridan, whose specialism is comparison. And she always, when she's emails with a request, she'll say, oh, I'd love to have you on podcast. And please don't hesitate to ask me a favor in return. I'm, I'm ready whenever you are. And I absolutely love that piece of language. It's kind of like an equivalent of a hook. It's like, I'm going to give you something. You might not want anything from me now, but I'm putting out that, that I owe you. And it, it completely changes the mindset because I, I think, oh, yeah, actually, I will bank that and I will come back to it. And, yeah, it feels like a similar thing. Well, it's interesting, right? In terms of one thing that, that I think is, is extremely interesting, you know, at any kind of networking event or any kind of situation where you, you might go in and think, oh, what can I get from this? I think reframing it away from what can I get from this towards how can I help? Mm. What it does is, and, and, and really kind of not in a transactional sense, not in a kind of, oh, you know, like I give you this, you give me this. I think that's kind of like a lot of times the kind of very transactional, you know, like people keep like their brownie points mm. uh, uh, type tables, but actually in a sense of saying, no, I'm leading with, I want to help. I'm leading with generosity for two reasons. A, every psychological study or not every, but a lot of psychological studies will, will tell us that giving makes us happier than taking. So actually it makes us happy to give. It makes us happy to be generous and kind. Mm -hmm. And so it's highly recommended, by the way, for, for those of you who, who might not do it as often. I think it's something that actually, you know, like lifts our spirit, like every moment we can do it. Um, but also then at the same time, it's really this idea that people who get helped unexpectedly, especially are much more likely to help you back, um, especially in those moments where, where you're not asking for it, but they might know what, what you might need in a mm -hmm. moment. I think that's where it gets really exciting, right? That when you think about how often in life you might not even see something that another person sees for you. So to give you an example, um, you know, a friend of mine, she worked in um, kind of, you know, the NGO sector and like, um, yeah, she was a bit disillusioned by the, the organization she worked with. And she was like, look, I want to do something else, but I don't know what, but, you know, something socially focused. And so in her mind, she would now focus on the NGO sector, right? The social sector, because that's kind of like what she thought her skill set would be in. Mm -hmm. So she sent an email, though, to a couple of friends and said, hey, look, I'm currently reorienting. Let me know if you have ideas. A friend reaches out and says, hey, you know what? I just went through the application process as a tech incubator, and they want to focus a little bit more on social impact. And I, I, I got the position in the end, but I didn't take it. But they asked me to recommend someone and I would recommend you. And so my friend was like, oh, my God, but I don't have a skill set for like a tech incubator. And she was like, no, no, no. Like, this is not about tech. This is about yeah. social impact in this context of tech. And so it's kind of these things where a friend might see something in you that you don't even see yourself. And it's more likely that people actually want to help us if they feel it's a generous, kind person versus it's just a taker person. Nobody really wants to help a taker person too much, right? If it's not transactional, then. Which is interesting because it goes back to some of um, Brene Brown's stuff around courage and, and vulnerability, actually, to send that initial... Because we think of luck as something that is easy and just like falls in your lap. But actually, 
that bit of you know serendipity comes from her vulnerability of of sending out that and courage of sending out that first email so that's an important thing to remember that actually these people that we feel like luck always comes their way maybe they've been brave in in tiny little ways along the way i think i think that hits the nail on the head right that that people a lot of times work really hard to have more luck i think we in our mind we always kind of say oh it's either hard work or luck mm. no quite a few people work really hard to have more luck like people like you like you then turn bad luck into like something that that might you know and i've had that a lot um you know i've always enjoyed this so i i do a lot of kind of qualitative research in the sense of like i'm asking questions and then i i look at things over time so it's kind of very like in the field and and being with people and trying to observe what's happening and so on And one of the things that happens a lot, especially with senior executives, especially with CEOs, is they will tell you a story like, um, oh, I, um, you know, I did this and then unexpectedly this. And so I was just lucky that this and this and this. And then we narrate it back and we say, well, but you know what? Like you were very active in this process that you just described as just lucky. And then they would be like, oh, my God, yes, I actually really I just cultivated serendipity. And so it's kind of this thing where I think. That's what I love about this idea of cultivating serendipity. That actually, it's a very active process. And if you tell someone who like created that serendipity that they just were lucky, it takes away their agency. It makes them mm. kind of disempowered. And I think that's especially true in in poverty contexts where you know a lot of times people want to create their own luck, but they um, both either don't have the structural resources or, more importantly. Um, the kind of like role modeling that that might actually do that, and I'm I've always been fascinated by this question of how do you, especially in contexts where people have have very little resources, mm-hmm. always see people who have a certain mindset where they make a little bit more happen than others, and then at the same time, of course, it has to go hand in hand with with kind of you know working on societal inequality and and so on. But I think this fascinating thing is that you see serendipity stories across all different contexts, across all different dimensions. Yeah, that is the. the the um intersection between privilege and serendipity is interesting isn't it what have you learned when you've you've been um looking at people in poverty well it's interesting because i think the the kind of western white man approach for a lot of like time especially also when you think about some you know contexts in sub-saharan africa was to say we focus on resourcing and giving people resources right so you would come in and say let me rescue you here's a resource and i will never forget around 10 years ago when i started working in in kenya and and, and south africa and so i asked someone um, who's now a close friend of mine what should I, as the person coming into your context, never ask you? Um, you know, like, what do you always get asked, but, but you hate that question? And, and he said, well, never ask me what I need as a first question. If you ask me what I need as a first question, you put me into the role of the victim, mm. of the beneficiary, of someone who kind of needs your benevolence. Whereas if you come in and say, what's already here? How can we make the best of it? Then we start on the same level, and then we can still talk about resourcing and everything else. And that's what I, what I meant earlier when talking about how do we, in a way, especially in contexts of poverty, don't assume it's all about resourcing because that takes away the agency of people to create their own luck. You don't want to be the father who wasn't able to provide for their family and everyone knows that you just got a donation and that's why your family lives. You want to be the man who or the woman who says, I had a job and that's how I, 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 I cater to my family. Mm-hmm. And so it's really kind of giving people the dignity to create their own luck by providing the opportunity space for doing this. And I think that's where the kind of policy work comes in. We work a lot with governments around this question. How do you create opportunity spaces where in a way they go hand in hand with that mindset of making the best out of hand, what is at hand, but then actually elevating this and, and giving people the dignity to, to do that. For example, it's not enough to just put someone, you know, giving them a scholarship, uh, a less privileged person to go to school. 
well, then they still don't have job prospects like the kind of Eaton educated person who has five family contacts. But mm. if you then add three mentors who can actually help with connections and everything else, then you have an opportunity space. And so it's really kind of thinking about these holistic solutions mm -hmm. that resolve a little bit more the structural inequality rather than just kind of like these, these like one-off type solutions. Mm. Absolutely fascinating. Do you think there is like serendipity and entrepreneurship um, feel like they're they sit together, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, take as an example, um, one of my absolute favorite organizations, it's a, it's a uh, enterprise in, in, in the Cape Flats in Cape Town. So it's a very impoverished area in, 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 in Cape Town where you have, you know, high crime rates, you have um, like high rates of poverty. Like it's, it's an extremely tough environment. And, and essentially the group there said, you know what? why don't we try to figure out how we can work with what we have here at hand and be resourceful and make the best of it. So what they would, what they developed is a low cost education methodology. That's something like 10 steps to use social media to build your business or 10 steps to, um, you know, build a company and X, Y, Z. And then they go into other resource constrained settings and they're saying, what's already here and how can we best uh, make the best of it? There's a former drug dealer. Fantastic. That person has a lot of social capital. That person will um, be very resourceful. Um, they might have channeled their energy in the wrong ways, but actually they are probably extremely creative. So if you can turn that person into a teacher, you can turn a whole community around. If you look at an old garage, you'll see a potential training center. And so it's that kind of mindset that, that reframes it away from resource constraints to what is already here and how do we make the best of it? And then again, of course, it's important to, to from the outside then kind of resource and everything else. But it's really kind of that initial idea that I can create my own luck. And that kind of really gives locals hope that, hey, I can, I can do something myself. And I think um, that's the opposite of a lot of the kind of organizations that we see out there, right? These NGOs who just come in and give like food and stuff. That's nice as a first step, but like we need to somehow um, en enable people to be entrepreneurial in, in that sense. Absolutely. That the thing that you were saying about, you know, how do I make the best of what I have here feels like the center of all of this, doesn't it? Because in, you know, there's a lot of culture around the idea of manifesting stuff at the moment. And I fundamentally, you know, I've got nothing against a, a positive mindset and, you know, self-belief. But the idea that these things drop into your lap is, is fictional, you know. And actually the, the crucial thing is taking wherever you're at, whatever you're presented with and, and, and take, making that the best of that, I guess. Exactly. And I think, you know, from a... Um... I guess from a serendipity mindset perspective, um, one of the interesting things is that it's easier to connect the dots for serendipity if you have a feeling for where you're going, right? So if, if I know that um, I would love to um, run an organization that helps people in poverty, then it's easier for me now when I have conversations to kind of set hooks around this to uh, do things. And so to your point, it's not about just saying, oh, I want to manifest that this organization is here and then in five years it will automatically be here. It's about saying, well, this could become my North Star. This could become something I'm very like, like conscious of. And now I'm developing hooks around this. I'm, I'm talking with people about it and so on. And so then actively you're actually doing it um, versus just hoping that it falls into your lap. And I think that's, you know, we, we just did a study uh, across um, over uh, 40 kind of, you know, CEOs um, who, who run big companies. And one of the things that came out of it was that what they have in common is they're extremely good at saying, here's a sense of direction that we have. Here's like a, an idea of where we're going, but it can also be key curiosity or something. 
and here we're building in the, the sense for the unexpected. And so this duality between the sense of direction in some way or the other, and then kind of being open to the unexpected, making them successful versus people who either completely float or who, who kind of over plan, over um, mm. uh, focus on, on those things. And I mean, it, it comes back to every conversation, but the pandemic has taught us so much about the the notion of unexpected. And actually, as we well know, for some companies, it might have felt like a huge bit of serendipity because it's like pivoted them in ways, you know, over and over again hearing, oh, it's actually great for this business. They've they've translated their, their offering into some into digital. It's something that would have taken 10 years they've done now. And I, I guess it's it. Yeah, it's really a very very stark reminder that we can be tracking along and and then things can change rapidly exactly and, and that's the interesting thing right that it, it comes back to that old old idea that that the unexpected defines who we are like the, the unexpected in unexpected moments that's you know especially in leadership like you will see who's true leaders versus who are the ones who just fire people or who would go the kind of easy route and um, you will see that those companies who say oh we are a brewery we don't have uh, restaurants anymore that we can sell to, but maybe we can use our alcohol to produce hand sanitizer. Those are the kind of companies that, that kind of then go through. And so it comes back to our point, right? That we can never bl blame blind luck on anyone. Like there will be companies and, and people who, who will not be able to, to, to function in that environment for a lot of different reasons. And that's never on them a lot of times, right? That's literally kind of outside circumstance. And then at the same time, we can also see that depending on how we react to that unexpected moment, a lot of times you will see that those people who seem now lucky because they have a huge hand sanitizer company, they didn't just like sit down and manifest it, right? They said, mm -hmm. okay, here's the unexpected moment. What do I do with this? Yeah. And, and then and then go with it. I'm prepared, yeah, A, to be a bit vulnerable and B, and, and courageous and B, yeah, take some risks, I suppose, and, and probably have exactly those conversations that might have, have yeah, have felt like a, a going out on a limb. How do we explain? How do we make sense of tragedy through this um, through this mindset, or or is it a case that you can't? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's there's two answers probably in terms of the the one is that bad luck happens to everyone, crisis happens to everyone. We all lose loved ones, and there's not a lot we can do about it. We all are fallible. We all might have you know cancer at some point, like those kind of things. Like there's not much we can we can do a little about it, but not not that much um, at all. Um, and we can never blame anyone for it. So I think that's kind of like in a way that kind of passive blind luck or blind kind of like like bad luck that, that can happen. But then at the same time, I think, and that's where the, the story of Viktor Frankl earlier comes in, in every situation, then we still have that question of how do we react to that situation? And does it frame us now or do we frame the situation? Mm. So for example, I remember when I had my first near-death experience, I started spending a lot of times with people who are close to death because I found it very inspiring how some of them took that on almost as a campaign and said, you know what, I have cancer, but I will use that as a campaign. Uh, for example, someone who was in politics um, uh, would say, look, like I will treat this as when I was in politics, cancer is the opposition party and I will kind of take them on and, and I will now go out there and, and talk about cancer and what we can learn about it and things like this. And so really kind of making it their mission to do something with it. And I think mm -hmm. that's kind of in a way taking the power away from just being defined by the situation. It mm -hmm. will always define us, but um, but we're trying to to take as much agency as we can. And I think that's kind of like part of this mindset is to say, how can we let go of the things we can't control? How can we let go of the things in a crisis? There will be things that 
we can't just influence and that's just what it is and it feels painful and and we will probably always have the pain about it and then at the same time there's probably elements here that we can control including what we do with it in the future if if we use that then as an inflection point to earlier point mm. for something that we can do with it and in fact you know what 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 i've seen over the last kind of years is that when you speak with um extremely inspiring successful people it's always the same pattern where they've had tough moments in their life, but those moments were inflections points for, mm. for, for, for why they became so great. And so it's almost, you know, the, this old saying, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross around that the most beautiful people we've seen are the ones who have seen defeat, who have seen pain, who have mm. seen loss, because those are the people who, who don't look at the world just naively, but they are the kind of real, like, like, like the, the rational optimists who are not just naively bouncing around, but actually saying, look, I try to be optimistic, but I also know that life can be really tough. Yeah, that's that's a very good point, actually, because I was thinking about the whole conversation in relation to optimism. But this this is feels I know you can choose to be happy, but this feels like a, a different thing, doesn't it? To just blind optimism. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've had a lot of these conversations actually with my wife who, you know, I know uh, that a lot of uh, men would say that about their wife. But in my case, it's true. She is the most amazing uh, woman that's that's out there. And, and she essentially, you know, she she, she is the, the biggest dot connector I know. She has, she attracts so much serendipity because she's constantly thinking about how can I help? How can I connect people? What can I do with this idea? But she's also not the most kind of like optimistic person in the sense of she's not, you know, she 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 sometimes feels like ah life oof, tough, uh, yeah. and, and so right and so and so the, the point is that that doesn't hold her back from serendipity and 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 so um, that's why when when I think about serendipity I think about like a lot of Venn diagrams you know kind of circles where we're thinking the serendipity mindset is in the middle and yes like if you have a bit more optimism it makes it possible that you can think more about what's potential out there you can think about more you know what might be likely and so on but if you don't have that that much then there's a lot of other things you can also develop and you can you know look a little bit more into this and and so um, there's hope for everyone there's hope for introverts there's hope for people who might uh, not be the most kind of optimistic there's hope for people who think they are unlucky right so that's the beautiful thing about and, and, and about this and just you know to close on that thought in the sense of that um the victor frankel kind of he had this beautiful story of the flight instructor and, and the flight instructor uh told him victor if you want to fly like this so if you fly like usual kind of diagonal you, you you have to 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 fly. You have to start a bit kind of further up because the wind will pull you down. So if you start as a realist, you end up as a depressionist. But if you start as an optimist, you end up as the real realist. And I've always found that kind of like to be at the core of this. To say we're not here to kind of go out there and say the world is easy and everything's easy and so on. No, we want to be very realistic about the world. And at the same time, then we want to understand what science tells us that is doable and then kind of do as much as we can and be optimistic that we can actually do a lot. And, and, you know, it comes back to when you look at the most beautiful changes, innovations, social innovations that have happened in the world, they're usually driven by a few people who just like pushed it and who, who didn't give up. And so I think that gives me a lot of optimism that everyone can, can do a lot with their life. And if they would run in front of a car tomorrow, that's always the litmus test to me. Like if you would run in front of a car tomorrow, because life can be very short, do you feel it was meaningful to you? And if it if it doesn't feel like it at this point, what can you do now so that if you would run in front of it, that it would have been meaningful? I mean, I feel like that is like the most perfect place to end. I guess I've got a couple, two more questions. Three. Apart from the hook method, do you feel like there's any other simplified ways of increasing the chance of serendipity in your life? I mean, one, especially also in a team context that I found extremely useful is 
to just ask oneself and others from time to time, what surprised you? What, what is something that surprised you last week? So if you're in a team meeting, right, and, and you just build in that question, what surprised you last week? To give you an example, um, that's how the potato wash machine, uh, potato washing machine uh, uh, would like could come about, right? Where a couple of years ago, a company, they uh, produce washing machines, refrigerators and all that stuff. And they received calls from farmers. And the farmers told them, your crappy washing machine is always breaking down. Well, why is the washing machine breaking down? Well, we're trying to wash our potatoes in it and it doesn't seem to work. And so what would we usually do? We'll probably say, well, that's not part of our plan. Like, let's educate the customer and tell them, don't wash your potatoes in the washing machine. They did the opposite. They said, you know what? That's surprising. But there's probably a lot of farmers in China who have a similar problem. So why don't we build in a dirt filter and make it a potato washing machine? And that's how unexpectedly so that kind of innovation emerged. And so, you know, in a world where in any kind of organization we're in, we have to somehow constantly think about, you know, what can we improve here? One of the most effective ways to do that is to ask people what surprised you last week, because they might say, I was surprised that in our NGO, the customers called up and they said they don't use our like donations in this way, but they use it in this way. Oh, okay, interesting. So maybe we can adjust our model. The point is that this simple question, looking out for the unexpected, um, makes it more likely that we will actually spot the unexpected as something positive. Um, I'm also a big fan, you know, uh, look, a lot of the things we could talk about are practices like the hook strategy, asking questions differently, spotting those unexpected things and so on. But to me, it comes a lot back also to, to kind of psychological constraints that we all have upon us, like self-limiting beliefs and working on those. So I'm a big fan of, of really, you know, doing a serendipity journal where you write down what were the moments in my life where serendipity could have happened, but it didn't? What were those coffee shop moments where I didn't talk with the person? What were those moments in the meeting where I had this unexpected idea, but I didn't bring it up? And then trying to understand what is it behind it? Is it imposter syndrome? Is it fear of rejection? Is it whatever it is? And then really working on that underlying thing, mm. because that actually then will, will, will be a step change for everything else that we're doing. I think that's great advice. And I I absolutely love what surprised you last week. I mean, that's a great conversation starter in any moment, isn't it? I'm going to ask my children as well. I think that's because children are really great at um, sitting with this already. My daughter saying that you find money. My daughter finds money absolutely <laughs> everywhere, much to right. her brother's dismay. She's four. But she just is always finding money. But it's true because maybe right. she believes that there's money to be found on the streets. Yeah. Great. Um, <laughs> That's great. My last two, two questions. Where can people find you if they want to find out more about your work? And, and, and also to your previous point, yeah. right? I feel there's so much to learn from children. Actually, one of my favorite books is The Little Prince, the book where, you know, there's the little prince that walks around and just asks why all the time. Right. And, and that kind of key curiosity a lot of times leads us to beautiful new things. And so I feel, you know, kudos to your daughter that she's um, so, <laughs> so into that direction. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, so 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 um, where people can find me, the homepage is theserendipitymindset.com. Uh, the book is available everywhere. Um, and um, my Twitter is at Chris Serendip. It's, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's almost serendipitous that you found your, this is like the thing that you're doing with your life now. I mean, I'm sure if you'd told, you know, 18-year-old you this would be your job, it, it, they, it would have been mind-blowing. Well, and, and, and to your point, right, my whole life has been serendipity. Like when you try to connect the dots at hindsight, you realize, oh, my God, this was all kind of somehow serendipitous. And yeah, it's wild, isn't it? Where things work out. Um, yeah. Um, and my, my closing question to everyone is always if you could have an honest conversation with one person, 
who would it be and what would you say? I've always been extremely inspired by, by Socrates because I feel um, he, in a way, was so guided by the idea that asking questions is so much more important than anything else. And, 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 and so this Socratic dialogue, this idea that, you know, we, 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 we ask questions about what, there's a, what, are, what are people's assumptions? Why do we assume this is true? To me, a lot of the problems in the world wouldn't exist if we would have more of that kind of questioning that literally just, if you tell me something, I'm just questioning, well, what is the underlying assumption here? If I question myself, what is my assumption mm-hmm. here? And I think what we would find is, oh my God, we all have much more in common than sets us apart. We, you know, all the conflicts are essentially socially constructed, all that kind of stuff where I think I would find it extremely interesting to to dive into that with, with him and think about how can we design societies around this um, that, that can make that happen at scale. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. What 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 do you think you'd do? Would you have a meal? Would you have a coffee? How would you have your honest conversation with him? I think probably on a walk. I feel like yeah. these kind of Greeks, they were always walking around and you know, so true. pondering. Yeah, it's true. Somewhere and actually walking is always a great place for asking questions, isn't it? Okay, well that's a great answer. What a, a brilliant note to end on. Thank you so much. I've I feel like there's it's one of those things that I'm going to ruminate a lot and, and try and spot it more. But also, you've given some great tips for actually going and doing this and and not in abstract ways that feel impossible. It's so doable. Well, thanks so much for having me and thanks so much for, for the great question. Ah, it's been brilliant. Well, I'm not joking when I say that I'm, I'm absolutely gagging to try and put that hook method into action and see what stuff I can hook. What a great thing. I'm claiming this is what I do. This is what I'm interested in at the moment. And this is what I'm really excited about or passionate about or thinking about. It just it just changes the shape of any interaction you have. And you do really never know who you're talking to. Even I'm thinking with people that you feel like you know really well, you often don't really know what they're doing for work or, or, or other people in their extended network. It feels like it could be transformative. So it could be serendipitous, in fact, I suppose, is what it is. So what an interesting conversation. What an interesting man. I, I'm always a bit um, wowed by academia and someone who's really done their research. I find it impressive, which is by the by. Um, I hope you found it impressive and interesting as well. Thank you so much for being here. That's another episode of But Why Wrapped. If you liked it, please share it, subscribe, review, rate. All those things make a massive difference and hopefully hook in a few more listeners, which is what we're really after. I'm off to get my pits and bikini lines zapped. Um, I'm in the middle of having laser hair removal, which is less painful than tattoo removal. i am had about three out of five sessions done. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go and do that now. Wishing you a lovely day and catch you next week. Goodbye.